Welcome to the Knowledge Entrepreneurs Show, where we celebrate the innovators driving change in the education industry. At Edison OS, we work with over 500 knowledge entrepreneurs to turn their edtech ideas into profitable businesses. Today's guest is Sujit and Anjan. Sujit is an edtech entrepreneur with over a decade of corporate experience in banking and financial services. He co-founded Infidea in 2014 with his colleague Anjan, aiming to provide effective and personalized learning programs to corporates across different industries and geographical locations through their online learning and teaching marketplace. Sujit has led Infidea for the past six years with an undivided focus and has expertise in the field of training and development. And Anjan is also an entrepreneur in the field of learning and development and has over a decade of corporate experience in banking and financial services. He co-founded Infidea with Sujit in 2014 and has been leading the company with a consistent focus for the past six years. Anjan's focus is on middle and senior management talent needs in the executive search and selection industry and his vision is to provide cutting-edge and result-oriented solutions to corporates and individuals across different sectors. Okay, uh, hello Sujit and Anjan. Hi, uh, good thank afternoon. you so much. Good afternoon, Anjan. Good afternoon, Sujit. Uh, thank you so much for uh, accepting to be a part of this podcast. Um, Pleasure. Hi. You. And uh, taking your valuable time out for this. Um, so my name is Jagmohan and uh, I'm the host for this show called The Knowledge Entrepreneur Show. It's my pleasure. So um, I will start off uh, this podcast with a very simple question, very open-ended question as well, uh, from, you know, a perspective of connecting with the audience that are listening to us. Uh, before we dive, uh, you know, deep dive into Infidea, your company, uh, I'd like to know more about Sujit and Anjan. So we can start off with Anjan alphabetical order. <laughs> so Anjan, uh, if you can, you know, uh, talk us through your journey, your story of, you know, where you started and what has led you to come here and be a part of Infidea. Okay. So, <laughs> sure. um, uh, Jagmohan, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Uh, basically, you, I am an ex-banker. I was into a leading private sector bank. And I was there for almost a decade. So I come from a, a financial services background. I started my career in the financial services sector and then moved into banking. Uh, now, uh, this is quite a different shift, if you say, uh, coming into the knowledge domain. Now, while we were working, we were exposed to a lot of uh, L&D opportunities that we used to get for upgrading our skills within the organization. Now, uh, I happened to attend a program which was conducted by a gentleman called Mr. Jay Shankar. That was way back in 2012. Now, uh, when I attended that program, something happened in me. I wanted to be in the learning and development domain. So, uh, thereafter, two years passed by and then uh, uh, Sujit would be talking more about him, but we were colleagues in the same organization. So uh, we started, we thought of doing something uh, in the L&D domain. And um, in 2014, we started this company in Fidea. Basically, it started off with an um, offline uh, learning domain where we, we primarily catered to B2B corporate clients um, till the pandemic happened. So we were uh, doing uh, training for different corporates. So basically, uh, we 
used to get trainers who would be the best fit for we used to get the contract from different corporates and we used to deploy different trainers across the country um apart from that we also uh, used to do a lot of workshops you know in kolkata we uh, then bangalore gurgaon noida so we used to do a lot of workshops there as well then when the pandemic hit uh, what happened is that everything closed down as you all know um, i mean all the corporate contracts started drying out and uh, so we had to had to we were forced to think differently so at that point in time uh, our companies who were working in the same domain um our uh, industry colleagues as we would call them not competitors they are industry colleagues because um, we help them in different way they also help us in different way so our industry colleagues got into online uh, training now we also went into that space but uh, what we realized is that live online training is a perishable commodity say i i train you right now you attend my tra- learning i mean uh, training session or whosoever is training and uh, then after a couple of hours when the training is over uh, even if i have some doubt it's very difficult to get back so that is the point when we uh, got into the area of pre recorded uh, learning videos so that is where we started our online journey so uh, in fidea dot in got into this lnd uh, sorry lms portal and then uh, we went into the retail market and uh, thankfully during the pandemic everybody was there stuck at their home and we we were able to expand across the country into the retail market uh, i mean retail sector and then after two years when uh, the everything went back to normalcy so now we have your uh, b2b clients whom we were serving already they are still there with us we have our normal workshop additionally we have our online uh, learning so this has been our journey throughout from from the time uh, we started uh, i mean uh, being a banker then uh, coming into lnd sujit will tell his story somewhat similar because he was also my colleague in, in the bank so sujit can tell you that part right. of part of his story thank you anjan uh, sujit over to you yeah so uh, the story okay. happened when uh, i am basically a science graduate i graduated by taking science in my uh, graduation i had chemistry as my honors subject right and i was always a medical aspirant i because uh, society peer pressure and everybody has scripted it in our minds either either you have to go into engineering field or you have to go into the medical field so just like anybody else i also started to prepare for my je mains and then uh, i shifted my career i post graduated from ikfi hyderabad after that uh, the first industry that i joined was the pharma industry since i always had a inclination towards uh, chemicals and uh, plant life animal life and all these sort of things i was very interested in medicine as a part of uh, my interest area so then it so happened like in the year 2000 uh, 2005 i came to know that there was a boom in banking the banking banking industry as a whole was booming at that point of time i thought that i should shift my gears now it's high time and so i made a shift to banking industry that is the inflection point where i met anjan so both of us were working in a department and then i moved to a different department 
Anjan also moved to different department and for a couple of years we were not in touch since the geographical area was quite different so meeting was barely a chance so we could only talk about the phone and uh, as anjan has highlighted there was always an interest in learning and development because if you are a part of a banking uh, sector you always come across people those who are knowledge since it is a knowledge intensive industry we used to get lot of opportunities uh, to attend programs both domain specific as well as soft skills so that is where that is a point when uh, aspiration of a trainer came inside me i thought that it's better if i can pivot myself and join myself as a trainer in some other company or in hdfc because in uh, in our bank there is uh, an option wherein you can always go for switching from one department to another department but uh, things were different there were no openings and uh, finally anjan had come into the picture we decided and then we quit our jobs to start uh, our company in the year 2014 primarily we started off trainers and uh, in the year 2015 16 we have trained a uh, few educational institutes including iits and also few corporates but then after a year or so we finally realized that uh, it is getting difficult to scale because once you are a freelancer and you, you are focusing only on the content management part you are not uh, very bothered about the market you 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 you, you are not able to uh, find out what is the opportunity size what is the total addressable market so what happened was that we thought of shifting gears and then we totally focused into building up this market and uh, as anjan has said then we slowly moved into uh, making of infidia and then our journey started from the year 2014 that is how it started got it sujit thank you so uh, sujit uh, when you said you know 2005 is when you thought you need to get into the banking domain uh, but you know your interests of course you've done your uh, business administration and then you got into a pharma company and then you know you wanted to get into banking because you thought banking is something that's got a greater scope at that point in time right uh when you when you got into banking what was the role that you were doing in pharma and what was the role that you got into uh as uh, when you shifted from pharma to banking i joined as a management trainee so the first 6 to 7 months uh, was a grilling exercise in which you have to visit different territories in the into the interiors of west bengal and find out that was almost like a job of a uh, medical representative but it was more exhaustive you need to talk with the doctors you need to uh, deal with the distributors the retailers so i was not very happy with my job profile in pharma because i thought i demanded more because right. uh, at that point of time since i kept a tab on the industry i thought and it was uh, in the news also that you know banking was a booming sector so the difficulty that i faced while transitioning from pharma to banking was that there were opportunities but uh, as you see that everybody checks the background as right. to where are you coming from so it was very difficult from my part to get into banking then an insurance company i won't take the name that helped me in mm. cementing the gap once i joined the insurance industry and i spent a considerable amount of time that helped me to bridge the career and then i found myself to be easily right. employable in the banking sector i joined as uh, assistant sales manager so you were in the sales domain in the banking thing when you got in 
Yeah, I was in the sales domain. And uh, Anjan, what about you? Uh, I I started off in the financial services sector. Primarily, uh, when I started off my career, I was also in the sales domain. I used to look after uh, the commercial vehicle financing. So uh, that was also in deep interior pockets of uh, Odisha. I started off there. I started my career in Odisha uh, to, into right. absolute rural markets. Then uh, after working there for a couple of years, I moved into banking. At the bank, I joined as a sales manager. Then went into uh, ancient W client handling. So when I left the organization, I was uh, managing a portfolio. of high net worth individuals uh, so that has been uh, my journey and i mean um, the entire journey uh, if i say they were all into the sales domain so uh, right yeah yeah sales domain got it got it so did you you know both of you uh, i mean you can definitely answer individually you know when you started off your jobs right early like say 2000 early 2000s after you graduated and all those things uh did you get into jobs thinking you know i'm going to have a career path you know grow in the corporate ladder or did you have that desire for entrepreneurship starting itself if you did not what was that point uh, in both of your lives you know where you thought of entrepreneurship for the first see honestly speaking uh, uh... if if you uh, come from middle class indian background uh, entrepreneurship and if you are not coming from a, a business family entrepreneurship is the last thing in your mind um so yeah. uh, to be very honest we never thought of entrepreneurship till probably 2013 14 so we were into our jobs we were working there we were quite stable because we did not hop companies very uh, often but then um, probably this entire decision happened in a year or so because uh, you know at that point in time when we left uh, we were already married with kids so uh, and and uh, at that point uh, what happens is that you you uh, the risk taking capability keeps on declining so uh, Uh, when one day i remember i was uh, discussing with sujit and we we said that this is the point if we can take a risk we have to take it now because beyond a point we are probably uh, even us i mean we have also started late because if you start entrepreneurship people start in their 20s you have a lot of time in hand to make make so many mistakes as you get into entrepreneurship you make mistakes and then you learn um and uh, right. when we realized that yes we want to get there because we have seen the corporate world okay it's okay it's it's uh, i mean financially it was uh, quite rewarding but uh, somehow after working for a decade or so you uh, feel a bit stuck somewhere i mean um, then you you think of doing something which which does not have a boundary per se and uh, we were uh, we were trying to pursue something where we had to do a lot of unlearning and start off from fresh so that was exciting for us number one so at that point we thought of taking the risk because if we waited for another 5 years probably we would not have uh, got that courage to start off so uh, i mean if you ask me my opinion thought of entrepreneurship no uh, we 
we thought in 2013-14, we probably thought in 13 and then took the step in 14 because we were already late by then. I mean, if you, uh, I mean, there is, I mean, uh, again, uh, there is no right age to take this decision, but uh, people do get into yes. entrepreneurship at 50s also, 40s also. So, uh, so we were yeah. in our mid thirties at that point in time. And we realized that if we are not taking this decision now, probably there won't be uh, a room for that many mistakes once you are into the journey. So that was, that is what pushed us uh, into entrepreneurship at that point in time. Sujit, if you can add to this. Anjan, uh, before I yeah, go yeah, to uh, yeah. Sujit, just one follow-up question, right? Um, so uh, you said, you know, 2013 is when you kind of, you know, uh, started thinking about entrepreneurship. Uh, what was the trigger point? Uh, see, what honestly, I'll you? tell you that day in 2012, when I went to attend that session, I have, I had attended many sessions. Um, uh, but this gentleman, uh, Mr. Jay Shankar, uh, whom we Jay call Shankar, our mentor, right. when we attended, when I attended his session, there was something in that session where, right. uh, which was uh, very captivating. I mean, it was very different, and I immediately wanted to be a part of the LND domain per se. Um, so, if you are talking about a single trigger point that started, a, a, I mean, that right. planted a seed, wherein I started thinking. Right. And uh, then the first uh, option right. was to get into LND uh, domain within the organization. Um, we, we could take a shift into the L&D department and uh, continue with our career. But uh, again, we, we thought of uh, breaking out and doing something right from the scratch and starting up and building something. And when I, uh, Sujit was anyways, I knew Sujit, but when I realized that he is also having a common goal, so we thought of getting together and starting up. Got it, Anjan. So... Uh, Sujit, you already said, you know, uh, you started off uh, given, you know, we back in the day, you had options mainly about engineering or medicine. And then, you know, you took up JE exams and, you know, you've told that you clearly had a, uh, when you describe your journey, it was not that you wanted to become an entrepreneur. And then, you know, you were looking to build a career in the corporate. So what was it for you? Uh, and what was that point, you know, where you thought you wanted to jump into entrepreneurship? Um, was it the same workshop that Anjan is talking about, which was also a changing point for you or what was it for you? Uh, to be honest, I came to know about uh, Jai Shankar from Anjan because I have never okay. met that gentleman. Though after after meeting him, I could really uh, find that he was, actually he was captivating and he's, uh, his influence is right. quite high. So he, he can provoke okay. your thoughts. So uh, coming back to uh, the trigger point, there were multiple trigger points, to be honest, because uh, leaving a job and diving into something, into a sea, which is totally an unknown area, is quite difficult. Multiple, uh, multiple trigger points in the sense, uh, in my bank, I have uh, worked in six different, different departments, from collections to uh, merchant acquisition, to sales, right. to operations. In every field, this is uh, whatever I'm saying with no offensement. Every every company has got their own policies, their own dictum right. in place. So what I used to see that I had one particular skill that uh, I think I was good. Even uh, uh, that is right. sales. So while I was in sales, I, I, I could find out that I could 
utilize my sales skills in you know ramping up the numbers because in sales department that is typically uh, the company looks out for but what happens is that when you are positioned in a area where you have that uh, geographical spread that your limitation is still point a or point b and you cannot cross till c but your inner child says that your aspirations are quite high you say why b why c why not c why not x why not z so that was the first time when i realized that i am having some self limiting beliefs self limiting beliefs in the sense if i am also trying to come out of my shell and i would like to try to prove myself that was not given to me by the company this is again no offense meant to my company my alma mater but then i thought if i have the skills then why not utilize it for right. myself that was a trigger point this happened in multiple departments that was one of the reasons and secondly after meeting anjan when we started talking about the, this was the initial days in 2012 2013 we thought like we thought of building something which should be larger than life it should not be limited to ourselves only it should not be limited to anjan or sujit the common goal should be such like it has to be more bigger than ourselves our own selves so these were the multiple trigger points which uh, ultimately propelled me to you know it acted acted as a catalyst to start off with our own venture got it that's about it very interesting because you know i was going to ask you uh, how much usually right when somebody is in sales i've been in sales myself of course not in the banking thing and i've also heard Uh, i'm not sure how it was back then when you were in 2005 to 2014 but i've met people when they were in sales during the time of 2018 2017 and banking sales is like pretty uh it's quite tight right it's not it's not very comfortable you know they push your boundaries it's a very difficult job and uh, if you can uh, you know spend uh, a couple of years in that kind of an atmosphere your confidence level goes up when compared to other things and uh, i think that is what sujit was uh, talking about when he said that you know he was into sales but then you know obviously when you're working in a large organization you're going to have territorial limits and you can only operate within the territory but then probably you know sujit uh, you felt that if i can do so much within this limiting territory then if i can probably break away from this territorial thing i anyway have the sales skills i can do a lot more so that is what you meant to say am i correct uh, you wanted to and uh, yes. i see that sales has somehow uh, been that uh, confidence booster for both of you when you are to, because whenever you start a new business whenever an whenever an entrepreneurial venture is begun one of the most toughest part is sales like getting new customers so uh, now my i want to ask you this question right uh, how much of an impact or a difference has uh you know being in sales having a sales background how easy was it for you to consider this decision of jumping into entrepreneurship absolutely. was that even a factor absolutely. for you absolutely that was a factor because uh what we realized is that uh, i might have a domain uh, knowledge a domain uh, expertise but uh, at the core as right. you rightly mentioned in the initial years the the core area where you need to focus is sales because um, i right. might have an excellent content i might have an excellent uh, training program lined up but unless and until i uh, uh, find that customer or a client who would who would deploy me i am nowhere so when we started off uh, our organization 
our primary focus was even today i won't lie even today sujit and i uh, spent uh, spend 90% of our time on sales because uh, that is very important unless and until right. i could sell something uh, even an excellent product could not be sold unless a proper selling channel is uh, used so that was absolutely right. an important factor as you rightly said uh, in taking this decision i mean in fact from day 1 we got into sales first i mean uh, that is how it started right right great um sujit uh, you know uh, if you can walk us through uh, both of your journey within your organization so when did you first meet and you know if you can like dive a little deeper into what was the conversations that happened between you and uh, as co-founders right one of the important things for any entrepreneurial venture is to choose co-founders have the right co-founders having a co-founder itself is another topic you know to have or not to have it's got its pros and cons but then you know when definitely when you have a co-founder it's got a lot of advantages and then you know what did it take for you both to decide okay sujit is good for me anjan is good for me to answer that uh, it's quite difficult to tell because there are few things that you know there if you, i don't know whether you believe in the concept of uh, something getting clicked yeah so something you can call it serendipity because opportunity was there and we could find no better person than each other i mean for me anjan was the right person for anjan i was the right person and when we when we started to talk more about entrepreneurship taking it forward having a vision for 5 years 10 years 15 years down the line because this is not something that you start off and then you forget and then afterwards you start off once again so it has to be a complete journey so increasingly what happened was that when we started conversing regularly on the topics about our entrepreneurial journey what are the expectations how can we achieve our goals so we could see a significant overlap in our thoughts in our thought processes and uh, probably that acted as a catalyst and we thought we are good to go it takes two to tango right so uh, how many years did you guys know each other before uh, starting of in 5 years 5 years 5 6 7 years 7 years 7 years 2000 yes 7 years and uh, Uh, both of you were in the same we were, team or something like how did the yeah, we were uh, in the building same of rapo happen uh, for about a year or so that was way back in 2007 uh, okay. after 2007 we were back in the same team in infidia not uh, i mean in between we were in different teams different geographical locations in the in, uh, uh, so but yes we, we were there. in touch we were in touch and uh, so in between we used to talk a lot about what is going on in our individual because he was in a different uh, i mean um, department he was doing something totally different from what i was doing in the organization so we we used to uh, be in touch talk about each other's work area probably take suggestions as to where i used to go wrong i used to ask sujit what would be the best thing to do and likewise sujit also used to uh, consult me whenever he needed something a suggestion or an advice so uh, we were always in touch that way and then uh, 2013 14 we got a common ground and we started off 
and probably to add on to what anjan has said uh, probably it all happens with an with one single incident uh, probably that was the first incident when we came to know that our likings do match because when we were in sales there was a uh, long period of time when we did not meet each other and neither we got time to speak to each other because of our own departmental pressures and all domain specific pressures we could find out after a long time that both of us has an interest in uh, learning and development and we both were trying to get into the learning and development uh, domain in our, inside our banks and then finally we realized that both of us are aspiring to take a certificate that, that is called uh, some banking certificate wherein it enables you to go into the uh, training domain so that was where we thought we would gel with each other properly and it worked out well uh, so uh, you know both of you were in sales uh, how much percentage of the decision to move into lnd was uh, get away from sales and uh, it was due to the interest in actually so have not uh, gotten away from sales we are into sales yeah 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 i knew <laughs> you just wanted to that's, sell different that's, things we, that's it we always wanted to be in uh, the same yes fact. got it uh, just that it wasn't uh, to be in the banking thing you wanted to sell something else from an lnd perspective got it um so uh, now let's move on to you know uh, infidia uh, you started in uh, 2014 but before you start in 2014 you said both of you were married you had kids uh, by the time you started infidia and uh, i'm sure you know in india when people get married uh, one of the important things that's that is looked into is uh, what is the job the groom holds and you know they look at it from a future perspective right uh, but then you know uh, you after you marry you're planning to do this like what was the family situation like was it was the family supportive for both of you or did you have to convince or uh, were you financially secure what was that all about like yes, can you yes, walk us through your thought uh, process please one big advantage that both of us had uh, was that by the time we started in fidea uh, we made sure that we did not have any loans in the market i mean we were loan free absolutely debt free right. so uh, whatever vehicle right. loan or uh, housing loan that we had we made sure that we are out of it so uh, because that drags right. you down because you know when you are getting into entrepreneurship next 3 4 years you might not be earning as as much as you are doing now um right again in my case uh, my wife was working so financially there was some kind of a support um, but yes uh, convincing uh, that that is done and again one thing uh, when young entrepreneurs or young uh, um, students who want to get into the entrepreneurship uh, asks us that uh, what kind of support did you get uh, from your families so uh, i would sum it up in this way that if you are getting into entrepreneurship and uh, looking for or uh, seeking support then you better stay out of it because uh, from day one if you are asking for support whether it is psychological support or whatever way uh, if you are expecting that someone will when if someone supports me then only i'll be in this journey your conviction should be strong enough Uh, so that even if you do not get anybody's support, you can carry on with the journey. If you get support, that's fine. That's an added bonus. Uh, 
so that that was the primary philosophy through which we started so yeah in my case the uh, one factor was that i was loan free and second my wife was working so somewhat even if i'm not earning for the next x number of years the financial part somehow gets taken care of got it anjan sujit yeah to add to what anjan has said both uh, the things also match with me since my wife was also working but then there are some uh, societal pressures also where you see that uh, typically family i right. hail from a middle class family middle class bengali family and it is very difficult uh, you know for a family to come right. in terms with entrepreneurship initially because my parents have already seen people those who are working in our families they have never gone out of uh, their ways to start a business or start their own venture so definitely family pressure was there because w- when when you are graduating out and when you are starting to work out somewhere there are unrealistic expectations from the family point also that you will grow you will go- growing is a different thing i mean it also happens in entrepreneurship as well but some somewhat like people are not able people i mean i will uh, record the thing family members won't have that uh, you know vision to think about uh, like uh, the growth path in a right. entrepreneurship career as well so when we joined entrepreneurship one thing was very clear for my case i mean i'm sure anjan will also add to me that we would burn burn bridges i mean burn bridges in the sense if we are diving into entrepreneurship we will never come back we will never have a uh, second thought about coming back to our uh, salaried uh, profile because 90% of people when they start entrepreneurship they have a safety net they think if it doesn't work out i will work out the there is always a plan b to fall back on so in our case we did not have an option we thought either plan a or plan a itself nothing else so that was our driving force and that is how things started out and it shaped itself i mean you know uh, jack you cannot Rich. blame the family because uh, when you are working with a big brand and you are doing good for yourself right. financially otherwise when when people at your home see that you are getting promotions you are uh, i mean working with a big organization where you have a future then you suddenly uh, say that i'm leaving everything and coming into entrepreneurship so that apprehension is always there for the family but again you have to someone needs to convince them and it's difficult but not impossible right. got it no uh, i i think it's a very uh, interesting point that uh, sujit said you know uh, not having a plan b i've heard that from a lot of people uh, because the moment you have plan b uh it means that right. you know you have a choice but uh, we behave as human beings we behave differently when we have a choice and we when we do not have a choice um you know even though practically you might have had a safety net but i think mentally it's better to operate from a point that you know you don't have a safety net and then that will make you do things uh, in a more extreme fashion or you know get things done uh, whatever needs to be done Uh, so uh, both of you guys you know your expertise lied in sales but then you know you wanted to get into learning and development uh, now did you uh, become trainers yourselves or did you only want to run a business where you would hire trainers what was the plan like 
to start off with there was no uh, because when you make a transition from being a salary to a businessman you only have the capability and the ability to see what is directly in front of you you are not able to gauge the entire landscape or the entire path in which you are trying to go right so when we started off we started off as trainers only because we thought being self employed being a freelancer is all about business right if you are on your own and if you are training people if you are getting contracts from companies and if you are uh, associated with big big companies that itself proves that you are a self employed or you are starting having a business of your own right so when we started off as trainers we also did train the trainer certification just to mm. add the icing on the cake so that there is yeah. an acceptability factor in the market and so that people recognizes us as trainers yeah uh, to add on to the skill which we already had in our cvs so right. we started off with uh, yes of course we started off with schools i mean b schools we started off with uh, corporates handful of corporates we had trained some smes in and around kolkata west bengal and uh, we had also trained iits iit kharagpur and there are few engineering colleges in uh, orissa right so couple of colleges here and there couple of uh, corporates and that's it when we were trading on this path then a thought came to our mind that is this all is this all about entrepreneurship then all of a sudden it struck like a lightning all of a sudden there was a you know there was a vision that was in front of us like probably we are self we are self limiting ourselves we should right. think something bigger than this then the idea of starting our own company came into mind and then we started off with it got it and of course so and of course sorry for interrupting and of course one more okay. one more reason was the scalability because uh, in business you there are two kind of businesses one is system dependent and one is the people dependent business so right. the more we went into uh, our careers down the line we thought of creating a system dependent company so that it operates as a full time business that's how we switched from being a freelance trainer to a corporate as a startup so uh, 2014 you started as freelancers and then infidia came or infidia started in 2014 and you started as freelancers no, infidia was started ago. i mean we we started infidia in 2014 itself but the initial uh, uh, around 6 to 7 months uh, journey was as freelancers i mean i would take up some assignments you would take up some assignments and but it all came under infidia only um, and then we uh, moved into getting contracts corporate contracts and then deploying trainers out okay uh, so you skilled yourselves um, uh, for a, you know to become a trainer while you were working right. itself you right. put some time away for that or did you take away some time after you quit the jobs then you skilled yourself to become trainer how did that go during our uh, tenure in uh, hdfc we were already thinking of you know uh, relocating ourselves into the training domain so that mind shift happened from before only it was not like we right. quit our jobs and then the training uh, opportunity arises and then we uh, acted as trainers so it's not like that the thing was inside our minds the only thing was that we had taken train the trainer certification and that's it 
and whatever time we used to get we used to uh, train corporates train colleges and that added to our skills that's it got it okay so uh, you know you were in sales being in sales obviously you know talking to new people is not going to be a problem uh, you know uh, that is part and parcel of the sales job um, but uh, when you uh, transition into training uh, it is slightly different because you know you need to put up a show put on a show it's not only about delivering content right it's also a little bit of performance because there's just one person you're addressing an audience of say 30 50 100 people so uh, can you describe what how did you land your first clients as a trainers as trainers both of you and what was the experience like uh, for a moment did you feel you know uh, did you have self doubts when you started off or you know were you both naturals what was that like see uh, talking about uh, getting our first assignment there were few things that was shadowing our mind the first was that there was too much of unrealistic expectations from the market okay okay and uh, the second thing was that uh, we thought that it's going to be very easy in the training domain since uh, being trainer is very easy we thought first of all and uh, when we started off uh, we started off with cold calls plain cold calls there are instances there are uh, days when i remember me and anjan we used to travel 110 120 kilometers with our bikes and uh, we used to do some 30 40 uh, in a particular month if i remember correctly we did something around 200 250 calls put together in a month and uh, these are the numbers are if you compare with the industries other industries these numbers might sound a bit less but again if you see that these are typically b2b calls these are not like wherein you march into a company you knock the doors and you you have to get an appointment you have to so the initial days were like we used to sit in the first week we used to take appointments when our days were f- fully filled with appointments say for example we are starting on monday monday tuesday thursday friday we used to uh, block our dates seven eight calls and these were not typically inside the city limits of kolkata there were far off places in other districts we used to travel and we used to uh, visit them and for this was typically for this was typically for uh, colleges and b schools and for corporates we used to take appointments proper appointments before visiting few of them i would not say that all of them were by taking appointments we used to cold calls also we used to do cold calls also got great interesting because i thought you know usually whenever i've spoken to so i've spoken to at least you know 3 to 4 trainers or coaches um here from the uh, south as well as from the central india from maharashtra you know most of them started off uh, with referrals because they accidentally started they didn't have a plan and uh, their sales approach not even one coach or trainer that i've spoken to so far they have this kind of a sales approach right uh, i'm 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 so glad that you know Uh, i'm talking to you because you're the first trainers who are talking about cold calling who are talking about you know the organized business development obviously probably you know you having a sales background really helps there and um, but you know what was your conversion like you said you know you used to make 250 calls every single month like i mean to start off with you know both of you combined put together uh, what was the uh, how many meetings would you book for uh, you know for the 250 calls that you used to make 250 calls 
these are all physical visits these are not uh, appointments visits. they they these are, are all physical visits wow yes yeah. in a single month both of us yes. put together wow so let's say you know even 100 for that matter you're talking about 3 to 4 meetings we per went single for day days yes. without people, lunch because we used to start early in the morning um, and we used to have calls lined up like sujit said that uh, there were instances where uh, they are these uh, mostly if you are talking about uh, engineering colleges when we if they are corporates they are well within the city limits but uh, if they are uh, engineering colleges or uh, management colleges they they are in different districts as well so uh, wherever we had appointment we went there met the uh, concerned person we showed them our profile uh, we tried to understand their learning and development needs uh, what what uh, all subjects or topics they train on and then uh, uh, probably try and get a contract from them so these were all these 200s were all physical calls i mean going and meeting these people because that is something that was the thing we knew because we were always into sales that was this was not new for us no it's not new but it's to be quite frank it's unbelievable uh, crazy i mean not that i don't believe but you know it is like quite crazy to have like so yeah, much you know uh, exactly because even when we look uh, look at those days now even we find it <laughs> uh, quite crazy because uh, at that point in time one thing went into our head that uh, whatever we are doing now we are doing it for ourselves right so right. we were not tired we were we did not have to report to anyone uh, it was all a self driving force that was nobody used to tell us in the morning that these 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 clients you have to meet so since it was coming from within right. so that energy uh, uh, got into the system and we could run around no i just what uh, wanted to add on to what anjan had said that inner force was that inner drive was there so we had strongly believed one thing that the day you plant the seed is not the day you eat the fruit so that kept us going right right you made sure you know the plant grows and then you know you pluck the fruits out of it great but um, Absolutely. you know uh, your yes. lead generation process was you know uh, did your uh, a decades career in banking help you with all that contacts did you you know use those contacts and uh, references for this or you started from uh, scratch very interesting question <laughs> when we left the organization uh we thought that uh, we uh, know so many people in the industry and we would have a sizable chunk of business from here right but uh, uh, the harsh reality was something very different so okay. yes there was uh, we got our first contract from our ex colleague who was working somewhere so he was basically a friend that was different but apart from him uh we did not get till date till date i mean this is probably the ninth year eighth year uh, running we did not get a single contract from any of our banking references right so it, they were all new uh and we had to do a lot of unlearning because uh, we had that i mean when we came out of the bank we had certain uh, 
belief systems certain thought process we we need we needed to unlearn that unlearn that and uh, go for i'll tell you one small uh, instance so initially when we were doing so many calls uh, we were not getting projects so one day we decided let's do one thing we need to start off as trainers so that we need to do we need to test whether uh, i mean we have been capable of imparting a training program or not so we said that we'll visit a few colleges few engineering colleges and say that we would do a campus to corporate program and we'll offer this program to you for free so fair deal so i i'll give you this program uh, and it's free of course we won't charge anything we just wanted to get an entry um so we went to a, a college very renowned college in the city and uh, the tp or training and placement officer was sitting across the table so the first thing he asked is uh, i understand you are ex bankers but what uh, experience do you have in this field so anyways we tackled that question and said that see we are not uh, charging anything so this is anyways coming free to you so he said that will the venue be yours i said no your auditorium will do how long will it take so i said that we can do a full day program so do you know how much would be the electricity bill you it's free for you it's not free for us so even if we are doing a program for free we we need to get the students out of their classroom that day they won't couldn't be deployed in their classes uh, they would be sitting in your program my acs will run my electricity will run so i have to bear a cost so that that was a shocker in fact we thought that okay when when we go out and say it's a free free program everybody will jump in to uh, take the service but again that these were small uh, uh, unlearnings that happen uh, when you are uh, new in the journey then everything slowly settled down and we got our first project finally it's great because uh... i've been you know quite frankly i've been uh, uh listening to people talking about just referrals networking you know relationships and all those things and i was like look man i mean somebody who's starting out right they won't have relationships they won't have contacts right. and uh, you despite having uh, the kind of contacts that you had from a decade long experience with banks and you know all the network you would have built you're saying you know you still had to start from scratch and you know you shared a very interesting um uh, incident where you know you were ready to offer it for free but still the colleges were looking at the expenses that they would incur and you know in this situation uh, what was your you know uh, process like when you would see uh, 250 let's say 100 meetings each you did 100 meetings you did 100 meetings and i uh, have have a little bit of experience from sales and to get 100 meetings you probably will have to make at least 300 calls right you know every call you make you're not going to get up get a meeting right there is a certain ratio to calls made to a certain meeting and all those things so did you simply uh, want did you not tell anything on the phone you simply asked for a meeting or what was your pitch like what did you a uh, talk to get that appointment uh, going and you know what would you like to tell to all the beginners how would they approach has anything changed from 2014 to today well i think <clears throat> you cannot go with a fixed approach you know uh, it's always better to call take an appointment and visit but when you are calling 300 people you might not get across everybody 
let's say out of 300 people uh, 100 people pick up your phone or or at least listens to you right probably you take an appointment there out of 100 maybe you visit 50 right but what do you do with those those uh, contact points where uh, where they have not picked up the phone you right. leave them they are still potential clients so there you have to visit right. they have to get crash uh, most important is to uh, for anybody who is starting new uh, try i mean today everything is available online in in 2014 thing, things were a bit difficult but uh, uh, data is very important i mean data as in uh, we went to the extent of collecting visiting cards from friends whosoever they i mean we had uh, friends working in different banks so so they they regularly go on calls they have a bunch of visiting cards they anyways throw away right so we we called them up and said that when you when you ever think that your bag is full of visiting cards and you plan to throw them away uh, you give us a call we went to uh, kabari walas you know uh, paper i mean uh, places where old uh, we we uh, started looking for uh, club diaries we started of looking uh, started looking for uh, we used to buy uh, we used to ask them that whenever any uh, chamber of commerce directory comes comes to you please give it to us we'll pay for it so these are different data uh, database maybe uh, because these if you are getting a directory from a chamber of commerce there you'll have the direct contact of ceo of any company so first you need to uh, get the right uh, i mean database uh, if i say and then you go uh, get into the call right and um, the efforts that we uh, put in in the first years those 250 calls or 300 calls whatever we did they are reaping benefits even till today i mean right. it's not that those 250 calls gave business in the first year it's not like that but Correct. we are still getting business from there we are getting new clients from those calls because we keep in touch we we send them mailers we wish them on uh, probably a new year or something we, we keep in touch at least when wherever there has been a physical contact right uh, you need not go every time you need to i mean repeat your visits but if you keep in touch you'll have a constant or steady flow of clients into your uh, business got it you uh, spoke about you know having the data of uh, people and their numbers and all those things and obviously it's going to be cold calls it's not targeted data and stuff like that and you interestingly mentioned you know you wanted to you spoke about ceos you know getting ceos numbers now um is it a good strategy for people to directly call ceos and you know introduce or is it better to first call somebody below the ceo because ceo sometimes you know the top person the top people will always be busy and you know it can backfire sometimes so how would you you know what would you uh, say about this particular thing see if you are getting the number from a directory be almost 100% sure that number won't be ceo's personal number so that would be a board number so uh, when you call the board number you ask for the ceo so naturally they won't say that then yeah. you you have to ask that i want to meet the i mean to learning domain i want to need uh, meet the lnd manager for uh, or if it is in the case of a college i want to meet, meet the training and placement officer right. i please direct me out there so you are not disturbing the ceo but if you are reaching there right. at least you will be directed to the right channel right so mostly they if you are uh, talking about a directory mostly they are landline numbers you know okay 
uh, even if it is a, mo- a mobile the uh, max it would be the ceo secretary uh, you would reach till there no need to get talk to the ceo you can always ask for the relevant person who would help you up so that that's the uh, process that we used to follow got it and to add to what anjan has said like uh, you need minimum 3 to 4 attempts to reach to the right person right. i mean it's very unlikely that on the first call you call somebody and that person will give you an appointment at least 3 to 4 attempts has to be made in order to reach the right person to right. take your proposal forward absolutely yeah i got it and uh, you know when you and when you you know when you've got an appointment uh, when you you know going to go meet somebody uh, what is your plan uh, when you go and meet like as i asked you right you just ask for an appointment and you say that you know broadly you're talking about your from a learning and development program and all those things i'm not sure if you're even asking them if, if there is a need because that is the wrong question to ask over a call right it's easily you know they can shut you down by saying that there is no need on all those things right um what i what i'm trying to ask you is has there been an ins- instance you know where you've gone and met somebody uh, and you know you've taken an appointment where they already have systems and processes for their trainings in place how do you convince somebody who's already got everything settled has there been an incident where you've replaced somebody after something you know can you share some story what is the method that you approach that when they say that you know what we already have great trainers how do you handle this objection right so i will uh, pardon me i will not use the company's sure, sure, name sure. because since this would be on an open platform so many people would be watching on uh, watching this uh, video so it so happened that uh, right we knew that the client was a very big client we find we found out the uh, main right authority's number we spoke to him before that we okay. did the complete homework as to that person is very influential and uh, he mm-hmm. used to be in news in all you know meetings with stakeholders or in media we used to right. uh, first of all we did the homework very well about his company what was the revenue wh- what was the profits that he had booked last year and to some extent his family life i mean it was not like uh, trespassing into somebody's yeah. information but anything and everything that was uh, on the public domain on the internet on the youtube and uh, other sites so we frankly believe that the first few seconds is very important if you are able to make a first good impression then you are through with it because that liking has to be developed we still believe that uh, you know business comes after that person likes him so somewhat you have to be likable in front of that person so talking about this particular case right. everybody loves to hear about himself about the accomplishments that somebody has made in his lifetime so we had used that card we talked to him about the various uh, things that he has achieved in his career and how impressed we are to be in his company at his uh, premises since he has given us 10 minutes of precious time to meet him and then slowly we graduated into uh, understanding uh, hmm. the budget because in a typical conversation what happens is that that free flow has to be there wherein the other person you 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 cannot put into a situation wherein right. that other person becomes conscious initially when you develop a liking for someone and if you ask them a favor they won't say no 
then it was like we came to know that they already had a training vendor for right. the past seven years that was from delhi and few attempts were made and the regular calls were done wishes on new year on any any occasion was done and this is how we understood the entire landscape of uh, the training gamut that that company had the number of trainers that uh, that uh, company had employed the, particularly the vendor that they had employed and slowly and steadily we made inroads and that client is still with us so this is one of our uh, big success stories in the b2b segment you can say this is awesome you know i'm just going to like dig a little deeper just because you know i think this is a very very uh, important uh, it could be a very important insightful lesson so you said that you know when you uh, so when you are faced with a situation where whatever services you're offered is being offered by somebody who's already established it is not yet time to give up on them you're telling just be in touch with them and then you know just build a relationship Absolutely. you're going to wait for some crack and then you know you're going to get into it now how you know you said very importantly you know it cannot Absolutely. be made obvious that you know what you know what i'm a sales guy i'm here to find a crack you know i'm going to ask you specific questions it's a, of course it's it it is also something that cannot be broken down and told black and white this is how it is it also comes with experience and stuff but if you have to tell somebody new who's starting off you know who's meeting a situation where uh, you know the services that they are being uh, that they are offering is already being offered by somebody way experienced a beginner uh if not a step by step what is a broad blueprint that you can give for example you said you know um, be in touch with them keep wishing them but what would at least three critical questions even in those conversations what are those three subtle questions that you need to put in to get that foot in the door entry i would like to answer that now we are getting into a conversation that is quite difficult right. because uh, these are difficult conversations and uh, your relationship with the client starts to bloom once there there is an opportunity where you are in a position to right. discuss the uncomfortable things with each other right then only the relationship opens up so we were in a position to be so open that the client whenever we used to ask the client how are things how how are is your team meeting meeting the krs and all so how is the training department doing what more do you expect from the vendor that now they are since they are training your individuals now what do you think that the extra thing would have been better if they would have delivered these are the typical questions that you know it triggers the mind and it also opens up various opportunities for you to understand where is that opportunity size and where you can cement the gap so we found out that thing we cemented the gap and then typically we moved ahead so if you ask me about three typical questions the typical questions would be like to understand if he is at all satisfied it should be asked yeah, yeah. in a very i am putting it in a very raw form but that person or the sales person or the trainer or whoever is going should ask how is how are the services going first of all is he satisfied or not what are the other things right. what are the other things that is aspiring for which would have helped him to you know market and right. give it more brownie points to that and is there any scope that if you can allow me to help you or assist you we can work together and just see if you like me if you do not like me then it's okay you can move on with your other partner with whom you are uh, working so somewhere when you introduce this part when you are building a personal relationship with someone and you are saying that why don't you give me an opportunity and try out i won't let you down then that becomes an accountability in the other person's mind that whenever he is saying he is sure and since we have already developed a good relation i might well give him a chance one more thing i would like to add to uh, what sujith has said 
um, this is a very interesting thing that we have found out in the last eight years. If I take the example of an organization who does not have anyone engaged for their L&D process versus right. an organization who already has someone experienced or whosoever is there who is taking care of the L&D. Do they have a vendor? They might be deploying freelancers, whosoever. You know, it's easier to get into the second category. Why? Because in the first category, you need to first convince them that training and development is needed. So there is a tool tire sales that has to get into uh, them. But in the second category, they already know the importance of learning and development. They have a vendor, they just need to change the brand or probably keep them there and test you out. So uh, anybody who is starting off new, uh, I would uh, strongly recommend that visit those companies who are already into learning and development. Things would be far easier for you because otherwise you need to explain the concept that uh, uh, training is needed, learning and development. Why is it important? You have to start from very raw area. Then they probably will agree to whatever you are saying and then give you a contract. But here in this case, and you know, every organization who, who has got a, a L&D partner for a long time, there will be some cracks. So they are also in lookout for, uh, I mean, trying out someone new. It's just like, uh, that toothpaste or a soap that we use in, in the morning. I mean, uh, whenever there is, it's not that, that I've been using an X brand of toothpaste and I would use that brand throughout my life. Whenever I see something new in the market, I might try out once. So uh, people should definitely visit those organizations where there is already uh, L&D activity going on. They have vendors. Uh, probably it's easier for them. People do not visit there. I mean, uh, newcomers generally prefer to visit those co companies where uh, who are relatively smaller organization, new companies, there is no training um, culture in there. There your work is doubly difficult because you first need to instill that culture uh, wherein they would be open to the idea of because that's still for them learning and development is a cost, not an investment. But organization where there is already a partner they have they know that it's an investment i just need to figure out what different uh, or, or what better you could offer so in fact that is easier people should definitely visit organizations where there is this is uh, this was amazing anjan the perspective that you gave right um i think this is something that probably i hope a lot of people who are listening to this there is that you know um, switch on the light sort of a moment for them in their heads because this makes so much sense, right? Because when somebody already knows the value of something, all you need right. to do is just go and replace. This is not only for learning and everything, development, everything. I feel. This is a, a, you know, beautiful sales insight that you've like given us uh, right here. It's like a value bomb. Um, is it easier to go and approach somebody who doesn't have somebody using or is it uh, easier to go and approach somebody who's already having, you just have to replace the competitor. Uh, Anjan, given that, you know, you've been in L&D, uh, both of you, what are the typical reasons why organizations look for new vendors as far as their training is concerned? That could be anything, you know, uh, I'll tell you, uh, say an L&D manager, he or she has his or her KRA. Now, the reason could be as trivial as they want a different trainer for different uh, training programs. 
See, I I have my. If you look from their point of view, um, let's say I've got three topics. Let's let's let me take the example of one topic. Let's say leadership training, right? And uh, I'm a big organization. I uh, I maybe uh, training two hundred people on leadership in a year, and let's say they are divided into ten batches of twenty each, right? Now, right. Uh, an LRD manager might think that. Uh, so so i have got 10 batches of leadership training to be done so probably they would think that i won't repeat the same person more than two times or three times right mm. there might not be anything to do with that might not have anything to do with the quality of training the right. trainer who trains for the first two training programs might might be an excellent facilitator excellent facilitator bang on but still they might want a second person uh, in the Uh, next two programs and so on so you know uh, as a freelancer while for a freelancer this might be uh, uh, a little bit of a disadvantage for if if i know that i'm going giving a good training program i should get all the 10 but again it creates right. a lot of opportunity in the market so uh, right. i mean probably i am training in x organization today tomorrow the same thing is happening in some other organization so i might have a requirement there and right. and that is the reason why i call uh, or we call the organizations who work in our domain as industry colleagues not competitors because if there is an information flow amongst us then it's a win win situation for everybody say for right. example right. you are taking up a topic somewhere i am taking up a topic somewhere and if you and i are in touch and we know that this is something that might happen in the organization so i tell you you go and approach this organization i'll go and approach your organization so that way it right. works and to add on to what anjan has said uh, regarding the kras in a typical uh, bureaucratic organization where there is a lot of hierarchy i'm sure since you are in sales you might appreciate the fact that uh, during our appraisal process there is always the yeah, kras yeah. that pops up out of nowhere and based on that kras you are being given a rating of 1 2 3 yeah. outstanding or whatever it is so uh, we think the same goes for lnd processes also the lnd head whosoever you are interacting with he or she might have a standard specific uh, kras in place and uh, if it is a process oriented organization and if they really value the participants feedback they tabulate the feedback and they share it with their higher organization because you cannot control the outcome of the training whether it is a good experience or a bad experience the facilitator might be good as anjanat said but the outcome might be different because we are having a diversity of population wherein right. multicultural people are uh, taking the training if they are giving a positive feedback well and good but if they are giving a negative feedback the ultimate impact is being borne by the lnd head so what happens is that there is always an opportunity for that lnd head to come up and say this training has not been performed very well right. so this vendor is let us try out somebody somebody else so that creates more and more opportunity in the market see apart from this I the think... normal reason is obviously they if if a training program uh, really goes bad so naturally they would go for someone else that yeah, that yeah, is there they, yeah. they are all given but um, there are cases when trainers feel that i have given an excellent training the delivery was good everything was good why did they replace me so this is it right. might look for someone else. yeah i think uh, it's just i mean 
assuming that you know the training has gone amazingly well one of the i think from what you both have told uh, the common reason is they just need variety Absolutely. because for a company right trainers are like uh, part uh, uh, you know it is not like a work work experience for them it is also a relaxation experience recharge experience as well and you know uh, you are no, no less than a live movie that you're presenting it has to be entertain you know entertaining as well and each trainer has their own style and you know their own activities their own personalization probably they like to experience each one of them and that's probably why you know they also bang go, on uh, for these changes um and uh, yeah i think so in your domain uh, it doesn't matter if somebody is already tied up with somebody or not a, a, you know every trainer is going to have their turn to go and uh, give a session in that particular company great and um, so when you let's say you know you've gone you've given an amazing training session to a couple of big corporates and then you know let's say this situation has happened to you happening to you um what is your typical reaction to it and you know how do you navigate that whole process and you know has there been a situation where you know you've given an awesome training uh you were probably replaced and then you know you waited and then you've got your turn back in that company see i'll tell you honestly uh, sorry you want to go ahead uh, uh, very honestly speaking uh, individual freelancers uh, they hardly get to know about this reality you know uh, even mm. we came to know when we started operating as an organization okay so where we were not training right. we were interacting with the lnd head they gave us this information right. your you had uh, deployed this particular trainer excellent he was great but uh, right. i right. i'll tell you uh, live incidents where the leadership training was going on and uh, we had a very good uh, gentleman uh, who was uh, who had an army background he is an ex colonel very highly decorated colonel he used to give leadership sessions so after right. a couple of sessions the uh, hr manager got back to us and said while uh, colonel's trainings are excellent but you know when i do another training program i am getting the same army examples so i want a variety out here so it's not that they right. are bad now right. when they are dealing with an uh, with a freelancer they won't give diverge these informations why they diverge to us because they know that okay i can be with this vendor but i can get a different trainer so that is how right. we came to know that this is the variety i mean most of the corporates they look for variety uh, good this trainer is good but please give me someone else we have already worked with him for uh, say x number of uh, training days so that's it so amazing uh i was you know i was going to uh, come to this topic as to you know uh, what is your uh, transition between freelancers and then you know being as an organization i think one of the changes was very evident here and i'll tell you what these are some mind boggling insights seriously uh, these are like really going uh, in depth because i you know people that i've spoken to like you know who've got 30 years of experience in training they all have um they have an organization it's not that they don't have an organization but they are a one person organization right. you know uh they are the ones who are uh, trainers and then you know they are the ones who keep going and uh, hmm. this is probably a reason where you also need to have a company you can also train but then you know allow somebody also at least you know that 
you are being informed of everything and you will still get Very a chance. Um, Sujit and Anjan, you know, uh, this is the last uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes has been nothing short of amazing. I want to now go back to, you know, original, uh, you know, originally the topics that I had in mind talking about Infidia. So you started in 2014. Hmm. Um, as a company, uh, you know, what is, how is the growth journey been from 2014 to 2022? Uh, you must have probably started off as just a two people company. Uh, today, uh, do you have a team? Uh, of course, I know that, you know, you have a lot of freelancers connected to you and then, you, you know, you deploy them and all those things. But how is, you know, what is the structure of a typical uh, training company like yours? How does it work? We have a very flat structure. Okay. We are four mem- We are a four-member team, apart from Anjan and me. So uh, we have a flat structure in the sense we have. There is no requirement of creating a hierarchy in the first place because being a small team, everybody knows what they are up to. So we are a small team, and obviously, as we have said, since we are in the information age and we are in the gig economy. Few of the uh, contracts, few of the things, few of uh, some uh, uh, works are already outsourced to other people also. So we work with a combination of you know our own teams, and there are people those who make sales calls, there are people who do telecalling, there are people who do a kind a bit of uh, collection calls as well. Since uh, we know collection is really tough because uh, I was myself into collections and we have okay. lost money also. So this is how it is. I mean, we have people, those who are working in our team and we have freelancers and uh, contractual employees who work us, work with us whenever we need them. Okay, got it. Uh, you know, uh, starting in 2014, uh, you know, up, up until, okay, let's talk until the pandemic struck, you know, we'll come to the pandemic period, you know, probably after we address this. From 2014 to 2019 or early 2020, uh, what's your growth been like? Has it been like, you know, you've got this fixed amount of gigs that you do, the revenue is like kind of flat or, you know, has it been growing and is it still growing? Talking about pre-pandemic uh, era, definitely growth was there, but, you know, it was very calculated since uh, there's a limitation to human involvement. A person who is doing certain number of calls in a day yes. cannot replace the algorithm done by right. a machine, the machine, uh, the AI. So that is how it is. I mean, subsequent growth we have seen over the years, but the growth post pandemic wow. has been huge. Okay. Has been good. Uh, what, what would you attribute that to? Why do you think the growth uh, after the pandemic? Because what I've been hearing is that during the pandemic, um, you know, obviously there were a lot of, cost cutting, jobs were lost, uh, and training is not, learning and development and the training thing in a company is not always, you know, the core thing, right? It is slightly treated with uh, a little bit lesser importance than all the other departments. Despite that, you know, what what would you attribute your growth uh, during the pandemic and post-pandemic to? Right. In a typical organization, if you uh, leaving aside LND, any typical organization, if you are starting out building a company, there are four steps that needs to be followed. One is you have to fail, you have to build, you have to pivot, and then you have to scale. 
so this was the process uh, which we followed in our company because we failed miserably we failed very very hard so there were times like when we thought there was we have to go back but that is the area which te- te- teaches you a lot because training as such lnd learning and development industry is a difficult market to get into because if you talk about corporate training corporate yes. training is a really unstructured market wherein pricing plays a huge role because everybody and anybody who comes who thought who thinks that i want to be a trainer he is already a trainer in the mind because since it's an unstructured market anybody can quote any amount that he likes so that creates further competition because whenever a company is approaching a vendor or a freelancer for a training that person is also scouting the market for uh, they can compromise on the quality but they will not compromise on the cost probably that person already has an amount of say for a single day training he has a budget of uh, uh, he wants to hire a trainer at a budget of for a one day training they want to uh, spend an amount of 25000 okay but uh, upon searching they find that there is already a trainer who can do, do right. the same training at 15000 for a single day so what right. what happens is that they save on the cost so i, I am slightly i have digressed from the topic but let me come back to uh, the original thing so since it was a difficult market we thought of connecting every individual uh, people in the retail market so there that is how our retail uh, right. our journey to the retail market started we wanted to connect with all individuals so that was possible only through uh, as anjan had said we started off uh, by conducting public workshops and management development workshops in three cities we conducted bimonthly workshops wherein people nominate themselves they come to the workshop they attend the workshop if they like it they go present it to their management and from there the lead it the management development workshops mm. act as a sales funnel for us people go back to their company right. the report that the training was really great and then the cycle starts the b2b cycle starts because these typical management development workshops are uh, right. it's a mix of b2b and b2c clients there are hardly 20% of clients would be b2c like those who are serious uh, learners say for example i think that i have to develop my skill i will go to uh, the training and attend but there are companies we have seen that they will first test the market in order to find out whether this training is really good or not so they will select five people six mm. people out of their company and they will send it to us once we get a full house see say for example we get uh, 40 attendees out of that there are seven companies who have nominated few people and they have sent it to the workshop so there is so the likelihood the probability the likelihood is very high out of the seven companies that two of the companies come back to us for right. conducting a training in their own premises so this right. is how we scaled before the pandemic and things were a bit different after the pandemic that added on to our scalability matrix got it sujit sujit so you said you know uh, there was a point i'm assuming it's definitely before pre pandemic you said you failed miserably Uh, and then you know there were moments you thought you know you you needed to probably go back and stuff like that uh what did you learn from those failures uh, and when you said fail you were failing miserably uh what do you exactly mean where you were not able to get even one client uh, for months together is that what you mean when you say you were failing miserably it was basically uh, i will reframe my answer it was basically during the pandemic it was not before the pandemic because what happened all of a sudden in 2020 you would appreciate that markets yeah. clo- closed down companies started yeah. to work from home and uh, the margins that we were getting from the uh, trainings that 
I'll I'll continue from there. Um, uh, probably his. <clears throat> yeah. Sure, Ranjan. Yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah, he'll be back once. Uh, the thing is, uh, what happened uh, during the pandemic? Just when the pandemic hit us, was everything came to a standstill. So, uh, sorry, Anjan, I'm going to like, you know, just clarify a point here. So, before the pandemic, things were fine. Yeah. You were hitting your minimum numbers. You were happy. We were happy, but uh, I mean, uh, certain uh, months, uh, there were lack of consistency, you know. Um, probably right. we were getting good contracts in, say, uh, towards the year end. And then as the year started, um, there would be a couple of months where... Uh, it was not a dry month altogether, but we did not get how, I mean, uh, we could not recover our costs. So that is right. how we put it. Uh, and right. then um, during the pandemic, what happened is that, as I uh, told you uh, earlier, um, apart from this, we shifted into direct retail online. Now, uh, retail online, as in, um, we, we prepared some uh, modules, uh, pre-recorded video modules. We right. got in touch with a couple of our trainers who, who were, uh, uh, I mean, in fact, they were also sitting idle. So right. we got some modules from them as well. We put it on our portal. We created right. a portal, put it on our portal, and then we um, used digital marketing and threw it across right. the country. Now, mm-hmm. that gave us a true scalability, you know? And when, right. uh, now what happens is that, I'll tell you what, as Sujit was talking about this workshop. Now, when pandemic got over, it was a year or so, then why we got better growth rate thereafter is that. Now, uh, if you see, we have got three pillars. One pillar, one is the uh, corporate training that we were already doing. Pillar two is the workshops right. that we conduct. And pillar three is this uh, online uh, uh, modules that we have. Now, uh, Whenever we approach a corporate now, we start off with, as you were saying, there, what to say in the first sales call. When a sales call happens, we, we uh, tell them that we have a workshop going on. You can send your uh, nominations for this workshop. Um, if you want us to train your employees, we are there. If you want to test the market, I mean, uh, rather, if you want to test our quality, send them to a workshop that we are anyways conducting. Um, if that is not the case, you don't have uh, nominations to be uh, sent across to the workshop or on part, that particular day of workshop, your employees are busy, then um, why not uh, get into our online portal and check out courses? So right. now this one pillar is supporting the other or probably what is happening is that uh, when someone, a retail client of us, probably he or she is working somewhere, he goes through a program, he likes it, he or she gets in touch with us, probably books us for their right. corporate. So that is why uh, having three different entry points for a, a client to get into the system. So one compensates the other or uh, rather one supports the other. And that is how we got a better growth rate post pandemic. Got it, Anjit. This is, this is like really, again, very interesting and, you know, very um, uh, against, uh, not against, you know, kind of very different from what others say. Because today, uh, one of the toughest uh, things in the edtech space is making, um, you know, making a business out of self-paced courses. As such. You said three pillars, you know, one pillar was the workshops that you were running where the companies would nominate people and then send it and then they would test hard the training. 
and through that you know you would get a on-premise uh, training gig uh, with the companies where you'd go into their uh, campus and do it and then the third one is you know where you created your content and uh, this is where uh, i think it happened during the pandemic am, am i correct this is when you started creating content now uh, let's just talk about creating content and those self-paced courses and that aspect right now creating content is a capital heavy um, you know uh, intensive uh, task because you know um, you need to uh, you know get people uh, from whom you need to get the ip it depends on the relationship you have with them whether you are entering into a partnership mode or not but then you still have to produce the content you know recording and all those things so what was your content creation process did you outsource it did you hire people or did you do it yourselves like uh, using a screen sharing yeah, there were a couple of there are a couple of courses in our platform which we ourselves developed because anyways in pandemic we were not doing anything we were at our uh, i mean respective home doing nothing so we started preparing content and uh, right. then uh, we started procuring content from uh, our trainers because they were already in the training domain some had technical expertise we uh, you know, told them how to create this content or or what would be the content probably we gave them uh, the entire structure that this is this would be the course uh, structure some had their own products while some for in some cases we told them that this would be the structure we want these topics this would be the video duration this would be the layout and this is the uh, hardware that you would require you prepare content and uh, we will pay you upfront and uh, take it up from here so that is how we got uh, content from uh, external trainers and these people we already knew them because they were working with us for the last so many years pre pandemic so for them also right. uh, with the training uh, learning and development physical learning and development um, getting suspended for some time uh they also found a uh, way of engagement you know wherein uh, someone in the market is uh, i mean uh, giving them some kind of employment wherein um, we are getting constant content from them so that is how we created this portal so fast during this pandemic that's great so you're saying that you didn't engage in a revenue sharing model or something you paid up front to the trainers who created yeah 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 i'll tell you I'll and then you had to <clears throat> there there are a couple of courses where uh, which are on our portal on a revenue sharing basis there are some uh, courses which we have uh, purchased up front uh, and then there are some cut content which are directly prepared by us so it's a combination of everything so anjan uh, was it a business decision uh that you know uh did it you thought you know paying up front did you have a reason behind that decision um or uh, was it the trainers uh, choice that you know they wanted to do a revenue sharing uh, actually or they wanted to be paid up uh, we wanted to test out different modes you know what whatever is uh, uh, profitable for us as well as the uh, training partner um so uh, right. if you say there uh, it was a conscious decision but why revenue and why uh, upfront we wanted an answer for that that is the reason we selected some on revenue and some we got upfront and uh, uh, those there there were uh, facilitators who said that they would be interested to go on a revenue sharing model and there were facilitators right. who said that we would prefer an upfront payment and we give you the entire this thing uh, i mean we won't have any claim on the product so that is how we went so, uh, 
Got yeah, it, Anjali. Yeah, I'm so really sorry because there was a power failure, so I had to disconnect. No problem, sorry. Sujit. Welcome back. Yeah, uh, uh, Anjan okay. uh, took over yeah. from where you left, <clears throat> and uh, we we uh, covered about you know uh, how you pivoted uh, since the pandemic started and how things were going until the pandemic hit, and then you know. Anjan was talking about the three pillars that you then later got uh, once the pandemic started, you know, where you had your workshops, where companies would nominate people to attend your workshops to understand how the workshops work. And then you would probably go and train them in their campus. And then the model of creating courses and then, you know, scaling up by digital marketing. And uh, I was specifically, you know, uh, trying to understand how this whole self-paced courses worked. And uh, Anjan was, you know, talking about the three models in which you did that, you know, some of the courses you created you, yourselves because you were at home during the pandemic and some of yes. the courses were brought up front uh, from other trainers and then somewhere on a revenue sharing basis. And, um, uh, you know, I was talking about why the difference between two things. And now my next question is, uh, which model has proved to be more profitable for Infidea? Is it the revenue sharing or is it paying up? Front? Still, we are looking for that answer because... There are courses which uh, we, uh, on revenue sharing where we have made, made money. There are certain courses on revenue sharing where we are incurring losses. And the same with, uh, uh, it depends on the acceptance of. But uh, but uh, how would you incur a loss on a revenue sharing model? Because you're not paid upfront. So you also share the losses. But, but you need to you need to advertise for the product. Because you, That's uh, where you, you, okay. you need to do digital marketing on that product. Otherwise, uh, I mean, right, right. just having the course on the portal will not generate sales. Right. So you, you put money in that and uh, then if it uh, does not generate return. Got it. Uh, so that way. And since uh, to add on to what Anjan has said, and uh, we are really testing it out also with various uh, domains because you know what, since this is an unstructured market and you can't say for surety what would be the acceptability factor in the market for course X or a course Y. Because right. if you if you draw a trajectory, different courses have different demands in different points of time. So it gets really difficult. So in order to right. do that, we also we are also uh, we keep on experimenting a lot with that in order to find out the final thing. Uh, how does it contribute to our bottom line? Got it, Sujit. And uh, you know, post pandemic specifically, you know, let's consider the time from twenty twenty to you know up up until now. Uh, of course, before pandemic, I'm making an assumption that all of your revenue came from in-house, you know, I mean, on-campus training that you did to all the corporates. You did not have any self-paced courses model, nor did you have a model where, you know, you companies would nominate people to come and attend your workshops. All those things came out of the pandemic. Now, how's the revenue split been? I mean, are, are you even making any profitable revenue from the self-paced courses uh, vertical of yours? See, primarily the revenue comes from the self-paced uh, courses. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> uh, because, uh, see, now the model is very balanced. Why, you uh, you know, because uh, maybe the B2B contracts, uh, maybe you'll have two to three contracts or engagements in a month. Right. Okay. Now, uh, when you have more engagements, say four, five, six engagements, then you get a sizable revenue from there. But... Uh, self-paced uh, learning module since that that is uh, driven by the mass retail market where you get sales every day you know maybe the quantum may be low but since you are getting revenue generated every day so when you look at the end of the month it's a sizable figure you know right so that is why mo on most of the uh, months the primary revenue is coming from uh, 
I mean, the self-paced learning courses. Uh, corporate training, I mean, uh, the B2B model, wherein the, the uh, uh, direct training happens for the corporate, there, uh, they are closely behind. Uh, there, there are months when they take over. Um, but if you look at the consistency, the consistency happens here because it's a daily sales product. You are, you are selling something or the other every day. You are generating some money. Right. And uh, as far as the workshops are concerned, yes, they give us some profit. But we don't look at the profitability from workshop because they act as a funnel product wherein corporates send in their nominations. Right. Right. They check their product. Right. So that is it. Now, uh, what works for us now is that with this trinity, I mean, there are three pillars, you know. Now, when you approach a corporate, ideally what happens now is that we, we uh, recruit a lot of interns who are fresh out of, I mean, maybe they're in the final year, some are doing summer internships in their uh, MBA colleges. Now, they approach different corporates. And uh, they have something tangible to show, you know, when you go to an HR manager. Previously, when uh, they used to go, or rather, when we used to do their do our uh, own sales call, there we only used to talk about what is your uh, learning and development budget, how you uh, do. I mean, that was important, that was needed. Right. But now things are far easier because we first go. Uh, the reason for the call, if if we take an appointment, we say that on X X date we have a workshop in your city. And uh, we would like to uh, meet the learning and development manager to get nominations. Just check out what we have. So it's easy to get an appointment when you have a purpose. Right. Now, they're, they're also pitching for the uh, self-paced learning courses with an offer that if you, if, if, uh, you wish, we can, say, give you X IDs at a discount or whatever. And some corporates do prefer that. That I I will I'll uh, procure some IDs for my uh, employees who would go through that. So the cross sales happens there as well. Right. And uh, when they see that a lot of activity is going on in the organization, some kind of trust builds up. Right. Then it's easier for us to crack the <clears throat> uh, training contracts as well. You know. Right. Uh, so that is the reason why uh, why post pandemic with the workshops running with the self paced learning portal. This cumulatively have uh, forced the uh, B2B contracts to come uh, more often, you know. So that has helped the B2B thing to flourish. And uh, what is it that you're talking about uh, fresh MBA uh, interns? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, see, uh, primarily to do these sales call, uh, currently what we do is that uh, we get interns from colleges. Right. Because... Uh, uh, most of the MBA colleges on the final semester, they have a project wherein you need to do an internship. Right. So uh, we get interns from the marketing stream, probably the category B, C, D colleges, um, who are there for two months and they would go into different corporates uh, because, you know, then uh, the advantages you have is you, when you take an intern, even if you pay, pay a good internship, uh, stipend, then also they're cheaper than getting a salaried employee. Yes. Yeah. Right. Number one. Number two, these people are English speaking uh, candidates uh, who could approach HR managers. Right. Right. Uh, so they are here for two months. We train them. 
they uh, they do the sales call i mean not the sales call they take appointments they meet the we train them what to say what not to say and uh, the hr also sees that since an intern is coming the the uh, intention to grill is also not there so they uh, yeah. probably they do a basic round of uh, talking and then uh, for for to take the conversation further then we are always there so right. that way they are there in the market they they do the initial pitching in the market got it anjali uh, so uh, you know i want to ask you another question you know i want to address this topic because one of the things that i found very interesting you know after talking to you is that whatever that you've spoken so far from a training perspective has been contradictory to a lot of things that i've spoken to before that's probably because you know i'm talking to somebody here sujith and anjan who run an organization as opposed to somebody you know who's been a solopreneur and running an organization um most of the people that i've spoken to find it very difficult to push the self paced courses you know the course completion rates are down, you know nothing and that is one of the reasons um you know for i mean that's not one of the reasons but that's an organic viewpoint you know which they say that you know when the course completion rates aren't there eventually the people are looking for live uh, workshops and live engagements and this is what they say but then here when i'm talking to you you know you're telling that uh, the self paced courses are helping you uh, with bringing in new revenue as well uh, at the same time it's also playing a role in getting you more b2b contracts as well very true uh, to all the people uh, who believe otherwise what do you think are the mistakes that they are making uh, guys uh, sujit or anjan you know if you can yeah. throw some light here sure 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 i would love to answer that so uh, the thing is that uh, the primal sales thing has to come in if the person is a freelancer or a trainer or a teacher whosoever it is they need to stick right. on stick on with things because um, Uh, the reason behind getting our sales is that we have a sales angle to it say for example okay. we are approaching a customer through our automated systems say for example we launch a course x today yeah with our all automated channels and uh, human involvement we send in the send in the communication to the uh, prospect that we have launched this course why don't you try this course right at that point of time the customer might think that whether this is the right course for me or not and the second question that pops up in his mind is that are there will i be better off if i buy this course because there are many more courses in the market out there so let me right. first of all this is a typical mindset of a uh, learner who comes to you know buy courses from you from anywhere right right because uh, typically in india india is a very cost sensitive market they will always try yes. to find the same thing with a lesser budget so in terms of value offering it has to be very very high so right what happens is that in this particular case when he gets a mail from us typical customer he gets a mail from us and he doesn't uh, sign into course x we have the entire database with us whosoever has signed uh, for the last 10 days in the last 15 days in the last one month we try to from the analy- analytics perspective we to find we try to find out how many times he has logged into the system and he has checked the particular course then we try to kind of you know this is a very manual method i won't say that there is a scientific approach to it but hit and trial works out sometimes we find out what is the learning capability and what is the makeup of that individual so what happens is that probably we come to a conclusion this might not have interested him so right. the next time when we launch a course in between the first uh, selling and the second selling there is a huge gap in between 
wherein we try to hit on to the customer to find out what are his uh, uh, good areas that he is trying to explore. So in an area, uh, by doing that, what we find out is that that customer is interested in learning that probably the course Y, X or Y is not suiting him. So next time when we launch a course Z and we send it to him, then we see that he is already our customer. And right. that works in our favor because uh, we have a variety of courses. If somebody is right. not signing up with Excel, it is wrong to conclude that he might not like other courses also. If I am not signing on to Python, it's uh, incorrect way of uh, saying that he will not like my other uh, course, which is into behavioral management or time management. So once you hit the customer with different, different approaches, that customer has to buy. So we have seen in typical uh, digital landscape, if you are hitting the customer seven times, then there is a sale. So it's working out like that. See, I'll just add to what uh, Sujit has said. Um, if you uh, tell me, uh, if I have to give any suggestion to any freelancer uh, who would like to get into the domain of uh, self-paced learning course creation, Right. I would say that uh, you need to keep on preparing courses and probably have a system where you have at least five to six courses there in your portal. You know, we as consumers, uh, whenever, e even if you're going to buy a medicine, let's say there are two medicines, medicine shops in the market. Right. One only sells Calpod or a paracetamol, right? Right. right. Uh, and there is a different, a, a second shop which has all varieties of medicine. Right. Now, even if you need a paracetamol, you would flock to that shop, which is full of stock, which has different medicines to offer because right. natural trust comes there. So uh, that is what happens is primarily what happens is when a, a freelancer creates a, a self-paced learning course, he or she thinks that I need to be successful in this course only. Probably this course would be successful if you have five more courses there in your portal. You know, mm. when a consumer comes in, he or she sees that okay, there is a variety. The same, uh, I mean, concept of variety comes in. Like, like I said, the case of a, a HR learning and development manager. A consumer also would trust that portal where they see that okay, I have got three courses there. I will buy from here. So, uh, so they need to keep on adding courses, maybe. And uh, may, another thing which is very important. You need to sell those courses. Just having the courses in the portal won't. Whichever way uh, you know, the best would be if somebody knows digital marketing and uh, knows social media marketing, that would be the best thing to do because there right. you, you have the automated systems in place. If not, get someone who can do the digital marketing for you. Right. If not, approach your clients, physical clients, wherein they can take these courses in bulk. Whichever way you have to try and sell those courses and have at least some five to six courses with you so that uh, anybody who comes in sees a variety, checks out one of them and picks them instead of just having one mm -hmm. uh, self-paced learning course and thinking that one course will not sell, might not sell. Got it, Anjan. Anjan, talking, uh, just to, yeah, yeah I, I just want to add on to uh, one sure, thing. Sure. Uh, talking about scalability and variety, what we are discussing right now, we have seen cases, it has happened with us. These are real life case studies where we have seen that right. uh, that particular customer, he is not interested for the past two years. Even after right. launching uh, 10, 12 courses and hitting on the market several times, mar uh, hitting to the customer several times, he does not buy at all. But one fine day we see that he 
has already purchased 10 courses in a single go. It has happened with us. So this is how things work. Yeah. Got it. I just want to ask you a question with an example, right? Now, let's say there is a train, there is a trainer who's into behavioral training. I don't know much about the topics that go on into corporate training. Let's say behavioral training. You are telling, let's say whatever he knows, he's created a course. Now you're telling psychologically for the customers, it helps to see multiple courses. Now, uh, are you telling that this trainer should create variations of behavioral training and give it different titles and, you know, have six, seven courses? Is that what you're trying to uh, uh, hint at? Or uh, or should he, you know, equip himself with other topics and then create totally different courses? That's my uh, doubt. It, it To be very frank and upfront, it really depends, you know, because uh, what is the outlook that you have? What do you want your customers? Uh, what is the image you are trying to create to a customer? Because there can be a generalist approach and there can be a specificity. It's up to you to create that kind of image. Whether you want to go for a general kind of setup wherein you are creating many courses and trying to sell that customer or you are trying to pose yourself as a leader, as a domain expert. Now, it works both ways. If you are a domain expert, if you want to establish your uh, ground, solid ground in one particular domain, then you need to find out various avenues in order to latch on to the customer. You need to uh, send value bombs. Suppose if I am a leadership trainer, I need to be with the prospect every now and then and say that to establish the fact that there cannot be a different leadership trainer who can be better than me, but in a very subtle way. The takeaways has to be very good from the customer's perspective. And if you are a generalist, then you have many options that you can try pitching into the customer. And ultimately, it's all about, uh, you know, it's all about the ends. Once a customer, once a prospect is converted to a uh, pros uh, uh, prospect is converted to a customer, then it becomes really easy. Because uh, to get a customer is very difficult. But once you are signed up as a customer, then you can take that extra effort and make him a second sale. It becomes easier. And, and uh, one more thing is, it's uh, see, uh, again, to uh, add to what Sujita has uh, said and your question, say, uh, if I'm talking about a plain vanilla uh, soft skill ex skills expert, expert who, who, who takes generally conducts soft skills training, even that person can create modules on communication skills, time management, uh, probably interview skills. Uh, yeah. So there are a number of modules or courses that because uh, even when they are going to corporates to train, they don't train a single topic. They also take care of different topics. So they can create different uh, courses. And second thing, it's very important to understand or decide that which segment of the market I'm trying to serve. I'm, am I uh, looking at serving the premium segment with a, a high cost? Am I uh, looking to serve the base segment or somewhere in between? So based on that, the entire strategy for that person would depend. Got it. Got it, Anjan. Anjan, uh, you know, earlier you said that, you know, uh, when we were talking about revenue sharing, you said you, you also undergo losses because, you know, you need to spend money to advertise as well. Now, uh, let us say, you know, let's... Uh, combine both revenue sharing or, you know, the courses that you paid uh, upfront to the trainers and then, you know, the courses you created yourself. Uh, first of all, uh, help me if I'm, uh, you know, just please correct me if I'm wrong, even if this question is valid. If you put 
just to understand the return on investment. If you put 100 rupees on digital marketing, because today when I open my social media, right, I see a lot of 99 rupees webinars and, you know, a lot of such things that are happening. A lot of people are training on different things. But when it comes to self-paced courses, if I put 100 rupees on digital marketing, what is the normal industry return on investment? Do they get, do they even break even 100 rupees or do they make 400 rupees? What is it like? So there's a thumb rule. Uh, in, as far as digital marketing is concerned, if you're trying right. to sell a physical product through digital marketing, your ideal return should be three times. Uh, if you're okay. putting in 100 rupees, you should be getting back 300 rupees because there's 300 cost rupees. of the product and all are there. I'm talking about purely advertisement uh, perspective. Uh, for services, uh, courses like this, the thumb rule is two, a return of two. If you are getting a return of two, then uh, you, are, you, you are doing good. I mean, anything above two, uh, if you are getting, then it's good. If till 1.5 is manageable because here the cost of production is low. So you are, you are not, yeah. uh, unless and until it is a revenue sharing product, you're not paying additional amount for additional units. If it is, uh, if you have purchased the cost upfront or you have right, prepared right. it yourself. For, for a product sale, it is different because for every unit, there is a cost. The cost of the product is there. But for services, if you are getting two return, you are doing things okay. Uh, but if you are falling below 1.5, then uh, you need to look at the strategy. So that is it. So ideally, one should get a return of two. Got it. And uh, as far as the self-paced courses are concerned, your market is just India or you're going at the uh, moment, uh, at the moment, India, we plan to uh, move out to uh, five English-speaking uh, countries. That is, uh, okay. UK, Canada, Australia, US, uh, four okay. rather. Um, so that is in a planning stage. But currently, see, India has a huge population. I mean, uh, right. if you can cater to them, uh, then it will take some time when you exhaust the entire population. So, still uh, miles to go in India itself. So we'll just okay. spend two years in this country. I mean, as far as online courses is concerned. Got it. And, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, I was talking to another person, you know, who was building a tech product mm -hmm. where he was teaching how to code. Uh, and then, you know, he said uh, he failed in India because uh, he missed out on the vernacular. Uh, you know, in India, uh, when you want to really penetrate, mm -hmm. you know, English mm -hmm. dies down after a point in time, right? Mm -hmm. English is only a certain population. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you need to like really communicate to them in their languages. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you look at this? Uh, See, uh, I mean, has it uh, has it even occurred to you? Have you started thinking about it? Because I'm assuming all your courses are in English as of now. Yeah, one of the courses, uh, uh, all of them are in English. One is there, which is in Hindi. Uh, right. You know, it's a it's a difficult proposition uh, wherein it's always good to get into the vernacular uh, domain. But uh, if I look at it from an operational perspective, let's say if I if I uh, wish to create a course in Tamil, right? Uh, now that would have tremendous accept acceptability in the. Uh, within the Tamil people or within the state of Tamil Nadu. But right. uh, what is the total population size who are into online learning and who do not know English, they only would uh, get into uh, this vernacular right. course. Vernacular course, uh, 
are really great we we have thought of uh, getting into that area but why we haven't yet explored that part is when when i talk about english i at least get a population which is uh, english speaking um, and i get them across the country i i i can pitch someone with this product in jammu and kashmir and we literally have customers from andaman and nicobar islands as well uh, right. but when it comes to vernacular yes uh, but again the the uh, size when you are right in saying that there is only a cross section of people who who speak english there is a large uh, population who does not speak english similarly if you are other than hindi if you are getting into right. regional languages again probably in that particular state there would be huge population who speak in this language but again if i come out of that state i would not be able to sell the product so there is always a right. dilemma you know which which population size is um, greater in number wherein you can push your product got it yeah i was uh, to add on to what anjan is saying there is no specific ground rule because uh, whenever you are uh, approaching a market you have to take into consideration two important criteria one is what is the total addressable market and what is the total serviceable addressable market these two factors will right. actually help you in order to find out a, a path and will decide like where to go and where to stop that's it got it my you know not that uh, to be very frank you know i didn't have uh, this many questions as far as uh, the self paced courses was concerned but then you know uh, after conversing with you uh, i'm just getting a lot of things uh, uh, as a natural progression now when we were talking about the indian market you uh, anjan you specifically told about three segments right you need to figure out whether you're addressing the premium segment or the base segment or somewhere in the middle uh, again when you said india has a huge population i'm sure the population gets divided into these three which is the segment you've chosen where do you operate we are at a sub premium segment where uh, our uh, the cost of uh, our courses retail courses start from uh, 650 rupees and uh, goes up to around 2000 rupees based on whatever you are that's a sweet yeah, spot yeah. we start from here and our highest uh, range would be around 2200 something like that got it when you first started off self paced courses right how many courses did you have and how many courses do you have now so uh, we started off obviously with one course and uh, currently uh, we have about 28 i think 28 29 courses are there about 30 This is a question you know I'm going to ask because you said at one point you know it's good to have 5 to 6 courses and then you know so uh, I'm assuming you probably saw a spike in sales when you increase the number of courses yeah, in your Yeah that's platform. true that's very true uh, but uh, it was easier for us to start with one course because that was in the middle of pandemic so uh, right we had one course even that got us good revenue uh but again at that point in time uh, okay. people were all at their home they were open to uh, learning and now, now things have opened up now if you are having one course and you're trying to sell it might be a bit difficult i'm not saying it's impossible but might be difficult might be uh now we cannot say that because now we are having a number of courses 
so that's right. that point in time during the we uh, we launched our first course on probably 15th of july 20 2020 so right. that uh, time one course was sufficient then when then slowly we started adding courses and definitely the more courses you have the more trust you have people get into your portal they see uh, the variety they pick up something that they might like so you give more option to your customers got it anjan the reason i'm you know stressing on this question is this right it's a little contradictory or you know it's a little uh, counterintuitive because people usually test with one course two course and then you know they feel that you know what it's not working i'm going to you know move away or stuff like that i think this is where your insight that hey you know don't don't even jump into conclusions till you at least go and reach 10 courses maybe only then you might have to make a decision whether to proceed or not so if you're a self-paced course creator who's looking to start business in this domain i think you need to at least uh, create 10 courses and then come to any conclusion uh, am i correct when i'm saying this i mean i need not be 100% correct but close to yes not a bad advice See, to give people i would right? say that uh, for for a freelance uh, trainer currently see the training market is open uh, your anyways training so and but i'm sure nobody would be deployed for all the 30 days so when you have free time with you you keep on preparing courses what's the harm right you keep on adding right. courses you right. you find out a topic you do some research on it and and just keep on preparing courses and uh, even you won't realize when you have already created probably 15 or 20 courses because if you if you every day you try a, take out some time let's say in a particular month as a trainer even even the best of the trainers have how many 15 16 days of training days i mean training engagements you still have 15 days right. so if you spend uh, even a month on a course in a year you create at least six courses so uh, if you go that way because you know uh, the first course that a trainer creates that might be a super hit and uh, the 10th course might be a flop so there is no hard and fast rule which one right. the market would take so you have to keep on this, right. it happens everywhere even with big production houses you see people making films uh, i mean films yeah. with amitabh bachchan amir khan they also fail so why do they happen right. so, so but that does not mean that they stop producing movies so one movie might fail the next right. might one might be a super hit that it covers all the costs that you have uh, incurred in whatever course you have i mean movie you have made the same thing happens here as well so when you are throwing to the market you should so uh, if you typically look at the corporate landscape it applies the same rule applies everywhere i mean if you uh, take an example of a pharmaceutical company every pharmaceutical company is identical uh, to its competitor Correct. Because they have the same range of products, only the brand name is different. They have the right. same range of products as the other company has. But right. if they are having ten products, they keep on launching that product. They keep on doing right. the product product launch, and all of a sudden, that hero product comes into the surface. Right. So it's very important to keep on creating uh, courses or products right. because right. you have to see. you have to throw the courses in the market and to see what comes back and the one product that uh, performs well that is your hero product so it takes considerable amount of time that's going to bring in more yes. customers yes. and stuff yes got it and uh, you know uh, my next question was uh, this so 
when we talk about digital marketing, we've got so much of uh, social media platforms, including uh, platforms like, uh, you know, third party uh, marketplaces like uh, Udemy, for example. Do you also do you also have your presence there or are you strictly off that and you're just using your own platform? We are using our own platform. Udemy is not something that you go into and sell no. from there. Got it. And uh, when it comes to social media platforms, they Instagram, Facebook, Google Ads, what are the platforms that you use? Are you there on all the platforms for your advertising? Which has turned out to be the best for you? Primarily, Facebook is the most predominant uh, in our uh, social marketing landscape. And Instagram to somewhat extent, yes. But we haven't tried out LinkedIn since uh, the reachability is low, what we feel. But we need to do some Instagram, is it? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, we need to do a bit of homework with LinkedIn also. And Google Ads, yes, of course, we run Google Ads also. Google Ads is also something that you run. Yes. Okay. Google Ads uh, is slightly expensive than Facebook. Am I correct? Uh, yes, to some extent. But you know, these channels work out with their own timelines. Sometimes the Facebook seems to be expensive and sometimes Google Ads seems to be expensive. It's up to you. Like You have to really pull up your socks and you need to find out your cost of acquisition to keep a uh, to 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 the cost. Whenever your costs are rising, you need to keep a check on it. And uh, this whole digital marketing, have you outsourced it or uh, do you do it yourself in house? We have a team in place who takes care of the entire thing. Of course, with our supervision, we are also hands down with that. We have uh, specific uh, knowledge which we impart to our uh, team members, and they are also very. Uh, I mean, knowledgeable about this. It works both ways, in fact, to be honest. You've outsourced, but you know, you're also important yes, uh, stakeholders yes. in the yes. decision making process. Yes, yes. Got it. And when it comes to self paced courses, right? When I see some of the courses that come on my feed, it says, you know, seven day no questions asked, um, refund policy, you know, uh, and all those things. How does it work? Like, you know, uh, what is the percentage? Do you have a policy like that? You have a no questions asked 100% refund thing with certain conditions. To be honest, we do not have a refund policy. And uh, uh, surprisingly, out of the total portfolio base that we have, there was only one customer who has asked for a refund. We haven't got a single case who has asked for a refund. That was just that would amount to some 0.00001% maybe. But we do not have a refund policy. Got it. And uh, as far as, uh, you know, as far as your course creation is concerned, the production is concerned, um, what is the format that you're most comfortable with? You know, there is, you need to find a balance between hitting, giving quality video visuals. At the same time, you know, you should also not be spending, there's only so much that you can spend for a certain course, right? Uh, and when it comes to, different methods of courses say for example there is a screen sharing way of recording courses or there is a talking head way of making a course or there is somebody in front of the board and then they're writing and they're teaching do these things make a difference and what is the format that sells the most uh, and what is it which format is also most optimum from a creation point of view see from your yeah, experience it, it all depends on the topic which you are picking up uh, say for okay. example, if, if it is a beer warrior topic, uh, in that case, probably the talking format works, 
but if you are getting into soft technical domains like if you are uh, teaching python or probably an excel powerpoint then screen sharing is the best part uh, right you know the bottom line is that the content has to be great i mean content means the, the areas right. that you are covering i mean the 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 customer before buying the product uh, has to feel right. that the money that i am paying i am getting more than what i am paying that is that should be the right. uh, base motto now once that happens so see we have a few courses which are on a screen recording uh, mode there are few where, where the uh, trainer is speaking i mean you see the face of the trainer and it's, it's communicating with you uh, but the bottom line is uh, if the content is great people will keep on coming back to you you know so uh, right. so we we have more than 40% cross sell uh, rates so uh, i mean whenever someone buys a product the second product happens and the third products happen there are um, that rate is quite high we we again plan to pull it up um, so that happens because uh, the content the, the content that we are giving is great it matters i mean there has to be a basic quality which has to be maintained but uh, if if i am talking since many freelancers would be uh, hearing this out many times freelancers uh, miss out or lose out because they think that they need an excellent studio quality material to be prepared then only right. and then they right. they they are stuck there only so it's very important that your if your content is good you need a basic microphone uh, if you are sharing your screen then great there are many video editing softwares if you are showing your face just a basic green screen even even background nowadays you don't need a green screen even the background could be edited so very right. basic things and and uh, i mean the entire probably the infrastructure should not cost more than 5 or 6000 rupees including microphone and everything i'm telling about we we try to create uh, courses with that kind of a hardware cost uh, so for a freelancer that should not be a barrier as to i i uh, unless and until i get that studio quality uh, i won't be able to go forward in the market people will accept you if your content is good if if you content have a great good. technical i mean i mean uh, excellent uh, as far as technique is technicality is concerned it's great but if the content is not good nobody is going to come and uh, repeat buy your products so that's it the no, willingness Anjan, uh, thank you you know for sharing this yeah yeah just to add on to what yes, anjan has said the willingness has to be uh, greater than the methodology so that's it no uh, i think uh, the reason i asked you this question was specifically to address people you know who think that they no, need something absolutely. extraordinary to absolutely. create something. i'll tell you a boya mic yeah. simple boya mic will cost you around 2000 rupees and uh, probably right. if you do your video if you are if you are doing a screen recording flashback pro is a good editor screen recording uh, that, uh, if you, even if you take the paid version that's some 1700 1800 rupees and uh, filmora right. uh, if you are using video editing software if you, even if you are taking the paid version so the entire thing right. and these are microphones and screen record these are one time investment probably a video editor might have some monthly subscription that should also not be more than uh, 1500 1600 rupees so within 5000 rupees right. you can create great content no need to get into expensive because 
you can spend on them you, you first need to go to the market sell them get the money and then spend yeah 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 and uh, one final uh, specific question about the course creations right see obviously this question is not valid different topics you will have to run the due course of it some may take 2 hours some may take 5 hours but <clears throat> is there something called as an optimum course length from a time perspective right got it yeah just wanted to hear it from you uh, anjan that's about it so uh, guys uh, uh, it's been i'll tell you nothing short of amazing um, it's just been you know uh, eye opening uh, stuff that i've heard from you uh, having been in the sales background myself um, and then you know uh, hearing you talk about cracking a new business cracking the sales and then you know some of the things that you've shared specifically with respect to the training domain is been like amazing uh one of the best training related podcasts that i have had hands down especially from a sales perspective right um i've had people talk about techniques and stuff like that you know about their what they train but at the end of the day there are trainers out there who are starting off you know who i think who need to hear you guys talk and then you know they at least have a direction to go towards you know how to crack sales some actionable methods you've really mentioned and um i'm really thankful and grateful to you for that before we end the session i'd like to you know on a lighter note would you like to each of you would you like to share three of the books that you've recently read that you know would make a difference to people who are listening if you are readers that is i'm sorry to assume so the top three books in my list that i think every entrepreneur or every one should read is the first is the atomic habits by james clear and the second yeah. book is by subrata bachchi the name of the book is the high performance entrepreneur and the third book i would name is uh, triggers that is by the leader marshall goldsmith these are the three books that i would recommend someone to read very interesting i've heard of the first two books never heard of triggers and, and the one book that uh, propelled the decision to leave and start uh, the entrepreneurship journey was rich dad poor dad so that had a great impact right right no that's that's a book that i get a lot from a lot of people even though it might look a little basic or whatever it is a lot of yes, people yes, start off with that off with, book you know and then they great great uh so uh guys uh thank, thank you, you once again it was great talking to you um, you threw the relevant questions and even that keeps the conversation flowing we we love talking to you we also we also love to talking to you and uh, it's an honor uh, to get invited uh, by you to speak in a absolutely absolutely like this thank you it's it's uh, been my pleasure this podcast is brought to you by edison os a no code edtech platform to operate an online education business knowledge entrepreneurs can use edison os to sell online courses from their own websites manage online master classes launch mobile learning apps sell online practice tests for competitive exams run online learning communities digitizing their offline tutoring business use it as a learning management system and a lot more cases in the domain of knowledge commerce